Hi, everybody. Welcome to Agency Unfiltered. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews agency owners, founders, and executives from around the world about operations, growth, and scale. Episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. In Agency Unfiltered's post-HubSpot sabbatical return, we have Doug Went, founder and president of Went Partners, on the show. Doug discusses the growth and globalization of his distributed team, and he gets into the levers that solutions partners can pull to experience similar growth. This includes things like full-time employees, obviously, but also contractors, freelancers, and supporting organizations. We talk about where and how partners should think about marketplaces for securing freelance and contract help, and his thoughts and the pros and cons of staffing firms. We talk about the advantages and disadvantages of professional employee organizations, or PEOs, and employer of record services, or EOR. Doug brings a ton of experience and insight into building a global, borderless operation, and he shares the most critical considerations and factors to be made aware of, and more, in Agency Unfiltered. Let's dive in. Doug, howdy. Welcome to Agency Unfiltered. How are you? I am very excited to be here. Thank you so much, Kevin. Of course. Uh, where are we dialing in from? Queens? New York. Uh, normally Queens. I'm okay. actually in Manhattan today. <laughs> oh, I, right. big I, I hopped over. I just I wanted you to have the first class experience, so I spent the big bucks for the, the teeny little phone booth meeting room in the middle of Manhattan. <laughs> Uh, you know, I was just, uh, in Manhattan the other, maybe like a week. I mean, by the time this gets out, who knows, but we, uh, Elton yeah. John was playing at Madison Square yes, Garden. Yes, that's right. At the garden. Yes. You made it yeah. to that. Awesome. Yeah. The farewell tour, you know, you had to do it. So we, uh, right. we were just over well, there. I mean, you know, every, everyone from that era is doing their farewell tour, but once they realize how much money they're making, they'll do another farewell tour. <laughs> It'll be farewell times two. <laughs> well, I was looking at the full tour and this doesn't have to turn into an Elton John podcast, but I was looking at the tour and I think he's <laughs> going through like 2024. So farewell is a loose wow. term because he's going for years and years on this. So it's like, you know, that's but- like those carpet stores that are perennially going out of business, but never that's actually right. do. That's right. Exactly. It's the musical version of that. You know what I mean? That's it. And if you're in Manhattan, I don't know if you like tacos, but Los Tacos Numero Dos, I think it is, in Midtown. Uh, It's like the best. Ooh, okay. Props to my sister-in-law for showing me the best tacos I've ever had in my entire life. So definitely check it out. Going on the list. Yes, I'm all about that. I love a good taco, and I love Hidden Eats, so I'm in. Yes. Uh, Oh, it's the best. It's the best. So definitely check it out, and then let me know what you think. Today, we're here to talk about uh, team growth, org chart growth, yes. and maybe more specifically, team growth, uh, global team growth, right? Yes. Um, and so I think we'll we'll slowly build up to that, right? I think when we were talking the other day, globalization, uh, you know, you view your team as having a borderless operation in a borderless yes. economy, and I think we can definitely tackle all that stuff and more, but a good, yes. a good level set might be just sharing a little bit about the team today. How big is the team? Where and how is it distributed? Uh, and then we'll go from there. 
Sure, absolutely. So, you know, just a little bit of context as well. I mean, Went Partners is 15 years old. Uh, we've been a HubSpot partner for just shy of a decade. Um, and, you know, we're 40 people strong, all okay. very high percentage, almost 30 of whom are FTE, um, either in the U.S. or, or abroad. Uh, that's been a dramatic change. We continue hmm. to add freelance resources to the team as well. But uh, we're learning a lot about the different models of building and maintaining talent and building teams. So we're very much a hybrid organization in a lot of different ways. But when I say that and when I say things like borderless or hybrid, (laughs) I don't mean chaotic or like anything goes. In fact, to the contrary, I would say that there's an enormous amount of additional work that goes into getting this right. Because like when we started our company, I mean, you know, I'm going back to what, 2006, 2007 Mm -hmm. era, okay? Like when dinosaurs roamed the earth and Facebook (laughs) was brand new, and I was really excited about my BlackBerry. I mean, that's literally the era. In fact, I have a newspaper clipping, a newspaper, let me just repeat that word, newspaper clipping that shows we had a photo essay done on our company in the very first year of operation because we were the first agency or consulting firm in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area uh, back at the uh, area back in the day mm-hmm. to announce that we were including Blackberries for all personnel. That's how bleeding edge wow. it was. We're like, yeah. everybody gets a Blackberry because we want you to be able to, you know, pushing the envelope in 2006. We were. Yeah. Man, yeah. that was Tech front forward. page news in the Harrisburg newspaper. Okay. So, you know, we started with eight people in a traditional office, you know, doing, doing it the old fashioned way and, and loving it. Um, and, and wow, has it changed? So you said 40 total, and I think the number yes. was 30 ish. Did you say 30 or so, or full time employee? 30 ish in the FTE side. Yes, that's correct. So, and you said that's, that's, uh, th- that's a difference to historically maybe how you've built the mm-hmm. org chart. How has that grown over time? What was it in years past? Uh, the balance between FTE and like freelance contract, et cetera. Absolutely. And it's, and the answer is it's been all over the map and we're learning kind of what the, what the world today requires and what's best. So, you know, we started as a, like I said, a very traditional, everybody had their extension on the PBX. We had the conference room, the refrigerator, all the stuff. Like we were, we were going to do it the old fashioned way, the copier lease, the, the, the phone system on the two year lease, my gosh, you know, (laughs) and it was cool. Okay. And then we decided to grow the firm to a new market. We grew from the central Pennsylvania market to greater Washington, DC and getting people to, we were actually paying our staff at the time for the option of relocation. So we kept the Harrisburg office, but we said, look, we're building a new office. We think within two years, it'll be the bigger office. If you want to kind of join where the action is, those cities to give you a sense are less than three hours apart. They're like two hours and change. Okay. Yep getting people to move even young people with no particular attachments early in their lives all that was nightmarishly difficult hmm. uh which is interesting because i'm a gen xer so when i graduated into the marketplace there wasn't a job to be had and like you know you could have told me you're on your own show up in tulsa on tuesday and i would have done it yeah right. so you know just very different i totally you know not not judging anything it was just unexpected and so we started recognizing that you know we're not going to keep the central pennsylvania office forever we have people who we thought were going to move to DC. They're not. So what are we going to do? And we're like, Oh, I guess they can do stuff by email and you know, we'll do, we'll use the internet. And 
Box.com was our first cloud application purchase. It came out in, I think, 06. Mm-hmm. Okay? We still have that subscription today. They're probably terrified of how little we're paying for what we're getting <laughs> because we're grandfathered in from like- From the early, yeah, whatever that first price oh, point yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So, I mean, we were literally running on email and Box.com, you know, and we essentially went partially virtual in 07, 08, just because- you know, of that whole issue of getting people to relocate. And we realized, well, that's Mm kind of stupid. Let's just do what we need to do. We also had a graphic designer um, who had a change of life circumstance. She got married and had a kid, you know, and she's like, I'm actually, my husband's moving to this location. I want to keep working. So life circumstances and just realities prepared us for the world we live in today, years Mm -hmm. ahead of when it became the thing that was understood, you know, sure. I mean, when we switched down to DC, we started actually, that was the first time we went with um, what we now call co-working back then it was executive suites. So like Regis 1.0 version. Okay. Yep. So, and back then everybody was terrified. If I take a shared office space, people will think my business isn't for real. So, you know, you wouldn't say to people come up to the, we work on the third floor. You'd say, come up and I'll meet you in the lobby of the office and just <laughs> never quite clarify whether it was what, your office. Uh, what's or upstairs. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So like we were doing these things and we didn't quite know if it was going to be considered kosher or not. Um, you know, because back then that was all still a thing. As it turns out, we were just inadvertently and accidentally 10 years ahead of the curve. Wow. Yeah. Um, as, as it relates to growing the team, what's the value in starting with, uh, freelance first, uh, versus, you know, maybe extending offers to FTEs. Um, why did you lean heavily into freelancers more so in the early days and it's still enough today, but just walk me through kind of the mindset on that. Absolutely. And the first thing I'll say is people often think that's a financial decision and actually it's not in most cases. And the reason is because the freelancer, you know, is a completely different economic model than an FTE. So in the reality is it really comes out in the wash. It's not about the money. Uh, we started down that road because we weren't able to forecast what the need was going to be tomorrow. So, hey, for example, when we started providing HubSpot services more aggressively and really doing a lot of onboardings, we had, what, one FTE and a couple of freelancers. And, you know, we developed nice relationships and things were moving along and everybody was doing great. So it really has to do with the mindset of the freelancer. One thing that I think is important is it's not so much whether they're an FTE or freelancer. It's whether they have the right mindset to be excited to be a part of your organizational team. So, you know, we still have people of all different configurations, but the people who stayed with us are people who, you know, when they send that email from the one partner's email address and they're on our website and we're on their LinkedIn, they take Mm -hmm. it seriously. Yeah, they may have other things going on, but we're not an afterthought. They love being a part of one partners. um, And that's been the key. Not everyone's like that, Mm -hmm. but that's true whether you hire them FTE or freelance. So, Honestly, the real driver of the shift back toward FTE was twofold. Number one, just because people who were freelance said, you know, I've been doing my own thing for a long time. And yeah, I love the independence. But the reality is what what Went Partners is doing is awesome. And I'd kind of like to just be a part of that, you know. (laughs) So that's been part of it. Another driver is the shift in the freelancing marketplace industry, which has become an absolute holy hell. So I'm sure I'm not the only uh, agency or consultant. I was just about team. to ask, by the way, if marketplaces oh is where folks should be going to source 
freelance support. And it's, I'm, I'm that, so you've, yeah. you've gone down the before you even got the question in there. So I'm interested to hear. All right. So let, let's talk about the, the, the dirty reality of the underbelly of the beast. The problem is it was great a couple of years ago and now it's a disaster and it's a disaster because nobody wants to provide reasonable roll-off clauses. So in other words, mm. the roll-off clause, people use different terms for it, you know, taking people off marketplace, whatever. This has been the number one business problem that we have encountered in terms of talent, period, whether it's freelancer or even FTE. And I'll talk about that as we dig in further. Yeah. The bottom line is, if we're going to do business with any intermediary between us and the talent, that intermediary has to have a structured process that we can agree to and afford and be comfortable with to allow us the flexibility to do whatever we want in the future. So now there may be limitations. Hey, you know, keep the person with us for six months if you like and pay a reasonable roll-off fee and you're on your own, okay? Whatever. But what's happened is the, the marketplace industry has decided that it wants to be the app store and take 50% forever and become the apple of human resources. And I'm sorry, that's not gonna, it's not a viable model. Eventually they'll realize that they're not the app store, but in the meantime, uh, we've steered completely clear. I mean, you know, and I'm not going to get into naming names, but the fact of the matter is there were two or three major marketplaces that were key sources of our talent, yep. you know, and, and now if we're looking for a freelance resource, we're doing it the same way. Basically, we're looking for an FTE, which is either a search or who you know, or LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's probably not unlike, uh, you know, how Airbnb wants to keep renters in a stronghold when I'm trying to find a a week vacation somewhere, you know what I mean? And and maybe eventually if there's a (laughs) long-term relationship and you want to continue renting that house, you know, can we take it off marketplace? Uh, I don't know if that's a metaphor or not for this, but no, uh, it's a valid metaphor. I think the big difference. uh, So first of all, it is a valid metaphor. And the, the reality is that use case exists in all these intermediary scenarios. I absolutely agree. The two things that are un uh, that are unplannable that are unique to the human capital factor are number one, what does the talent want to do? So maybe the talent wants to come off the marketplace and go FTE. And you're like, well, geez, if I did that today, now I'd be out thirty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, you know, or I'd be up to my, you know, my eyeballs in some kind of legal dispute with some nameless Silicon Valley company. Mm-hmm. Right. So you'd either be taking, or they'd, or they'd say, I have an offer to go FTE somewhere else. So if I can't go with you, like you don't have enough leverage in their relationship to offer to the person, whatever they may want tomorrow. Understood. Okay. Yep. That, and we'll talk more about that as we discuss the other challenge, which is the whole intermediary of the staffing industry. So that's the one thing. The other thing is that it, at the end of the day, the vast majority of Airbnb scenarios are transactive, right? Like you have this asset, the asset's not a person. It doesn't have emotions. It's a thing. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. You probably spent a lot of money to make it nice. You maintain it, but it's a thing. People come that use the thing. They don't need to build a deeper relationship with the thing. Okay. Talent is not a, is not a thing. Talent is human beings. They want community support, engagement, their needs change. And you need to be able to respond to those changes without some company in the middle saying, oh, no, 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 no. And that's what we ran against. And again, if you roll back five years, it wasn't like this. So the industry has gone in a direction to try to take a money grab, which is completely their right. However, short-sighted it is. And companies like us have adjusted by saying, fine, we're done in that department. And it sounds like, to your note, uh, sourcing for freelance is not unlike sourcing for full-time employees and, you know, sourcing through LinkedIn, 
and asking your network and if there's referral opportunities, et cetera. You got it. Um, you, That's correct. You know, you just alluded to to staffing, I think, or staffing firms potentially. Is there a similar yes. teardown there based on how much you would leverage them in the past versus how that experience, uh, like what that became, you know, what that turned out to be? Absolutely. And I think this brings us to the other topic, which is where the talent is. Hmm. So, you know, it, when we started the company, our talent was all within 20 mile radius of the office, right? Then it was all within a two-hour radius because basically people were in central PA or they were in DC. And, you know, as things grew and it started with the freelancing side, and I mean, my first Upwork freelancer, we hired a year into the company. So like we've been around, you know, doing the freelancer thing for a long time. And in fact, I've met some spectacular people I'm still professional friends and colleagues with who were in the early HubSpot era back then, you know, so... um. But the original idea was that people were in a geographically constrained universe. Then we had a freelancer uh, who we started working with back in the day, and she was French, and she was living in Northern Ireland. And we had another person who was an American who moved to the United Kingdom. Now, all of a sudden, you have to start thinking, wow, all right, you know, we have this kind of bigger picture scenario. We have people's level of mobility is increasing. And by the way, also... This stuff's expensive. I mean, there have been articles written about there's no more expensive kind of marketing to do than the kind of marketing that we do in the HubSpot ecosystem, right? Mm. There's no two ways about it. It ain't cheap. Um, And you don't want it to be cheap. You want it to be high value, high impact. But you need to build a team with talent uh, that is honestly affordable and flexible. And so in addition to looking at a combination of FTE and freelance, you also need to look at a combination of U.S. and non-U.S. or even in the U.S., but not necessarily in the same state that you're in. I mean, let's remember as an employer, it's not one country that you operate in in the United States. It's 50 states, <laughs> yep. right, who only occasionally acknowledge that they're part of the same country. I mean, literally from a from a, an employment law perspective, that's the reality. Yeah. So as it is, even if we're just talking about domestic, when you start bringing people on FTE, like now you've got a whole problem, which is, hey, I've got a person in Indiana, someone in California, someone in Illinois. What am I going to do to provide infrastructure and support to all these folks? In addition, we started developing relationships offshore. And I almost think the term offshore, I should just throw it out the window because it's such a ridiculous term today because <laughs> there is no offshore onshore. There's only one marketplace. Okay. Yep. But, you know, we've had team members in Colombia, El Salvador, Mexico, uh, India, Bangladesh, Poland. Uh, I mentioned uh, the French team member who's in Northern Ireland, you know, UK, Australia, you know, everywhere in the world. And one thing that we started to do to be able to scale was to develop relationships with companies that were dedicated to those markets, you know. Um, Bogota is a spectacular talent market. Why do you think HubSpot has an <laughs> office there? Okay. I mean, just ex- absolutely world-class, educated, you know, Western friendly or, you know, U.S. friendly, impeccable English skills, great, great people. And yes, there's a financial benefit to, to doing that as well. We got to make money in this business. <laughs> Let's never forget, you know, it's agency unfiltered. So let me be unfiltered. If we're not trying to make money, we're in the wrong business. Okay. And one way you make money is by increasing the quality of your talent, but managing the labor costs effectively. And beyond, you know, going beyond greater New York, in my case, since our offices, our headquarters are here in New York City, certainly helps. Before COVID, the only rational way to do that, right, was to hire a firm in market because labor laws and compliance are extremely complex from country to country. Yeah. 
Okay. And so we went down that road and we developed some spectacular relationships and partnerships. Like I have nothing to, about good, but good things to say about the vision and direction of those companies. However, a couple of things happened. Number one, because of COVID, everybody went virtual and suddenly the distinction between the U.S. team and the non-U.S. team vanished overnight. Okay. Number two is those employees, I don't care where they are, as far as they're concerned, they now recognize that they are the same quality of talent as we recruit in the U.S., okay? And so they expect to be paid, compensated, and treated well accordingly. And sometimes that intermediary company is ready to swallow that, and sometimes they're not. Sure. All right? Because a lot of these companies grew by selling the American, you know, end user on, hey, get you know, high quality talent for, you know, 20% of what you'd pay, you know, domestically. So they sold cheap rather than selling value. Now, we never played that game. We always, in fact, we exceeded market expectations in terms of labor payout. But when you have an intermediary, it starts to become a real mess. Okay. And so the other issue is what if the employee who's now FTE to you operationally, but not legally, because hmm. they work for the intermediary company. They're dedicated to you. They don't work for anybody else. I mean, it's no different than, you know, if you go to the Amazon headquarters in Seattle, 30% of the people there don't work for Amazon. They work for staffing companies that are brought in town, dedicated to projects, IT projects, whatever else. It's not like this is rocket science. It's the same thing the Fortune 500 has been doing for years. Mm -hmm. But if that talent is not happy with the company that stands between you and them, now you have a new problem. So you have a young adult, highly educated, bachelor's, maybe master's degree, previous experience in country. They're being recruited by America's Fortune 500. Again, I say there's not a market we haven't recruited talent from that HubSpot doesn't have a presence and in most cases a field office. All right. So mm -hmm. it's a global market that talent wants to be treated like global talent. And now you've got an intermediary company that blocks you from working with them directly Normally, that's helpful, but not if everyone's playing from a different sheet of music. So we had to make a very difficult decision in the last year to end those contractual relationships. Hmm. And we switched entirely to if we're going to hire you, we're either going to hire you as an in-country freelancer legally through a compliance process. OK, or we're going to hire you as an FTE, you know, and we'll talk about how that works. I'm happy to spill the secrets. The first secret is there are no secrets. <laughs> the second secret is we're still figuring it out ourselves. But this is what we're talking about. The world has changed so fast. And believe me, it's not stopped its evolution. You know, uh, I'm glad you just teed that up because you've, you've painted a really... You, well, first off, at the very beginning, you said, you know what? Uh, expansion globally doesn't have to be synonymous with chaos. But a lot of things you've, you've walked us through open up the place for chaos, right? Mm -hmm. And some difficulties and some complexities that can be really, really hard to manage. Labor Nailed laws it. that are country and even state specific. There's compliance processes that you must adhere to, right? And so if you're no longer in working with these sort of intermediary companies or partnerships to facilitate that process, and you want to hire freelancers or bring folks on as FTEs that are outside of the United States, like what you said you're ready to spill some secrets. So what does that look like? <laughs> so first of all, there's an interesting thing that I want to point out as the inflection point over to this. We said to the partner companies that we were working with, if you would offer us an open engagement model where we could roll these people off direct, but 
still pay you your management fee, everybody wins. Okay. And the response we got was, we know we need to go there, but we're a year or two away from that change. I was going to say, okay. you couldn't be the only the only company, only person asking for something like that, right? No, no. What's happens, the market's bifurcating. The cost-driven people are staying with the outsourcing companies, okay? And the people who are talent-driven, to be blunt, are moving to the direct hire model, mm-hmm. okay? And so these companies are now victims of their own business model because the economics, if you only are tra- attracting and retaining the cost-driven customer – and, and the employees are expecting more and more, and they have a right to because they can go to, you know, Microsoft's uh, office in San Salvador and make more money than they're making with you. Guess what? You're not going to keep the town. And without the town, you don't have a business. Sure. So, you know, they're victims of their own model. They recognize the existential crisis. One of the CEOs actually said, I want to sit down with you and talk about this because, like, we need to figure out how to solve for this. And I said, hmm. yes. Okay. But the reality is, and and I'll tell you the reality, because one of the companies, one of their executives actually left and switched to the other side. And here's the other side. It's EOR, employer of record. Mm. So in the United States, you have two ways you can employ people as FTEs. The traditional model, which is they work directly for you, you issue the paychecks, et cetera. And there are a lot of advantages to that model. Okay. Or you can use a PEO, a professional employer organization. Okay. We happen to use JustWorks. They're based here in New York. You probably heard of them. They've done a lot of advertising. I think they have a nice little bit of VC money backing them up on their growth trajectory. Okay. <laughs> the model is not perfect. Okay. Anybody who's worked with a PEO, whether it's JustWorks or anyone else, will tell you there are a lot of pain points. The first is you got to pay everything up front. So you're preloading all your payroll. So if you're used to planning huh. your cash management, around, hey, next Tuesday is payroll. If you use a PEO, you got to pay them last month for what's coming up this month. So get ready for that bank account to be a feel some pain. Yeah. That's the big complaint that that professional services firms have because, you know, we don't have millions and millions of dollars sitting in the bank. Right. We are, we are, we're not necessarily close to the bone, but every penny makes a difference, right? right? So it's challenging to make that switch. The upside is you can offer everybody anywhere, anytime, a full benefit package and you're automatically compliant. Okay. Because the PEO professional employer organization serves as the legal employer, including me, my paycheck comes from the PEO. Okay. So we're able to offer, you know, a national insurance policy with a major carrier with very reasonable deductibles. We cover hundred percent, at least for the individual employee and the cost to add family members is very small vision, you know, all the things that drive us all crazy. Okay. Outside the U.S., the model is called employer of record. Mm. Before COVID, if we roll back three years ago, there were a handful of companies doing this. It was very painful and expensive. Now there are a ton of companies doing this, and it's still very painful and expensive, okay? Um, I know because I just signed the check for the the (laughs) EOR that we're using for team members in India, Bangladesh, uh, and Southeast Asia. To my point, we've gone with multiple EORs, one that seems to have a good handle on uh, the North America, Europe market. So we have a whole bunch of team members in Canada. For example, we have the individual in Poland I mentioned, I alluded to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have team members in other parts of the world. We've learned that some EORs are strong in some parts of the world. Some are strong in others. This is not like just, you know, click a switch and everything's going to be fine. How easy is it to validate like regional expertise or which EOR to go with in what countries or, or areas? You know what I mean? What does that process yeah. look like? 
it's painful. We had to learn the hard way. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of it's asking the employees in country to kind of cross check what we're being told. Uh, we also just signed an agreement with a human capital or HR consultant here in New York who has experience working with uh, teams that are both uh, in the U.S. and abroad. You need help. Like we had, in fact, I just saw an email literally earlier today from one of our team members writing back to the EOR saying, actually, you guys are incorrect about this. Here's how the information on the, our taxes should be routed. Okay. So, you know, it's not, it's not a perfect thing because at the end of the day, someone's still creating infrastructure to run employment in 170 plus different countries. Let me ask you this. What's the order of operations? Uh, you know, you need, uh, you need to identify talent or a region in which you want to go start sourcing talent. Therefore you uh, partner up with an EOR or does the EO, you know what I mean? Does the EOR come first before the talent? Does the talent come before or after the EOR? Does that make sense? Great question. The answer is at least in our view, talent comes first because it's not so much that we chose a region and said, let's build a center there. Yeah. You can do that. That's the HubSpot model. Sure. Hey, you know, looking into the future, we're going to want an office in Ireland. We're going to want one to serve LATAM. We're going to put that in Bogota. You know, the more corporatized approach, which if you're a bigger company, you can absolutely do. For us, it's so-and-so says they have a friend who knows an expert who's available and they happen to live in. Yeah. And so now you've got to ask yourself, okay, let's start that conversation. Do we have the infrastructure to bring that person on if they're the right person? They could be in Kansas. They could be in Calcutta. We have no idea where the talent's going to come from. So it's really about, so I guess it's a little bit of both. But the point is, I wouldn't choose the EOR until you've determined where your talent is expressing interest from, right? Let the talent and opportunities and the potential candidates uh, show up first is what you're exactly. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. You got it. Um, are there any other considerations and or factors that that other partners should be made aware of? I mean, we could unpack the whole, you know, assimilation of all these employees into one team culture and one operating system. How does that look? And, and are there any, you know, additional considerations to be to be mindful of on this? I think you brought up uh, a, a number of good points. So let me kind of collect those together and give you a couple of quick bullet points. Number one, I'm actually, I'm literally back in New York for the first day in, in two weeks. So I went for a week of vacation. Thank gosh, finally. Where'd you yes, go? by the way, yeah. if you're an agency owner, please take vacation. You need it. You deserve it. And your team needs a break from you. Where'd you so, go? So uh, went to Aruba for a week. It was very nice. Cannot recommend it enough. All right. I mean, uh, offline, I'll have to take some ideas from you. So I'm many, happy many to provide all the details. All right. I expect to see you there next year, if not next <laughs> month. So yes, then came back and just finished a two week tour. Basically, now that COVID is hopefully continuing to calm down, I decided it was time to to build up my Southwest Airlines, you know, point bank. <laughs> so I hit nine cities in the last two weeks and visited as many North American team members as I could. Mm. Okay. So one of the things that we were actually just talking about in a strategy meeting we've been having today is we need to bake in in-person engagement as part of our long-term strategy, not just for the people in the U.S., everywhere. Okay. So that's part of the picture, how to get teams together physically when you can. Yep. Um, if anybody remembers the book, The Year Without Pants, about the history of automatic, that came uh, from that idea because at Automatic, um, the company that built WordPress, they were the world's first true end-to-end -end virtual employer. And the book, The Year Without Pants, describes that. One of the rules is every team gets to 
to get get together in person once a year in a place of their choosing. So we can't cash flow that 100% right now, but we're trying to, to plan that in. Yeah. Okay. So you're trying to build in-person culture as much as you can, even with a global team. The other thing is that we are we have a, a daily morning meetup, okay, which has been something employees asked for and team members, I should say, we call people team members. Doesn't matter what your legal role is, you're a member of the team. 100%. Now we're preparing to launch a second morning meetup to accommodate team members in different time zones. Makes sense. Uh, it's so honestly, you really it, have to start thinking. God, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, you have to put a ton of intention behind inclusivity on that front, right? Um, exactly. Anybody that, thinks that the money they're saving not having an office is just cash in the pocket hasn't really thought this through. Yeah. If you're going to go all in on the virtual model, then you need to go all in on the virtual model. If you do, however, one of the number one reasons we did an employee quality of work life survey and the number one reason that they said that uh, they were excited about working with us uh, other than just the consistency and the excitement and growth of the company is the fact that uh, they were able to be a part of a very diverse team and meet people from all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, it's, it's a, it's a cultural ad, you know, for the larger team when you're able you got to enable it. that. Um, Absolutely. So I have one final question. I'm going to put a pin in that. This is the question before the final question as we come up on time. Yep. Um, we've, we've gone through a lot, right? And I think the trials and tribulations of things like marketplaces and intermediaries and staffing firms and PEOs and validating EORs uh, and sourcing <laughs> talent, like there's a, there's a lot of considerations and a lot of complexities that can, that can uh, unfold here. And so what's the long and short of it from like a value proposition overall, right? You've been at it for a long time. It, why is the juice worth the squeeze for, for this sort Ooh. of like borderless operation? That's a great question. Um, it has to be something you bake into the sales pitch of the company. Mm. All right. So we tell people right up front, we're a global organization. We are as diverse. So our headquarters is in Queens. Okay. Queens is the most diverse place on earth. There are 141 nationalities. There are almost 100 languages that are spoken in the schools. It is literally the most diverse place on earth. Diversity is a source of strength. You know, we can talk about it. We can academize it. We can create committees. Look, just do it. Okay. And clients have to be excited by that, which means we have to be excited by it. So part of the juice or the squeeze or the squeeze in the juice is the fact that it's part of our story. This is part of our brand. This is the kind of business we're trying to build. Yep. There's a long-term value proposition, which is clients are starting to do this, or they may have operations or divisions or subsidiaries and other parts of the world, the more global you are, and even just in mindset, the more open they are to you being a part of their larger ecosystem. Okay. We've picked up clients in Canada for no other reason other than hopefully good salesmanship and good service <laughs> delivery, because they say, oh, wow, you have people in Canada. I'm like, yeah, of course, who wouldn't? You'd be crazy not to have people in Canada. Oh, great. And that starts building collegiality. So you have to be passionate about your brand story, and this needs to be a cornerstone of that story. So it's a differentiator in the sales conversation and just, you know, just again, to your brand story, but it's also where the prospects and clients that you're probably targeting, that's where they're going too, and that's where their models are going. Uh, and so it's, it's a really good correlation on that front. And, and let's just be honest, we have experienced situations, and it's a dicey thing where clients are kind of like, I don't know if I like this. Okay. Mm. And, you know, 
we all understand you don't want ever have a client who's struggling to understand an accent, okay, or something like that. We all understand that we are delivering services in North American English, all right? 100% of our team is college-level native fluent in English, all right? So we've had clients who sort of made that up as mm -hmm. an excuse for saying, I really don't want to work with this person. I want to work with the person who looks like me or sounds like me. Um, and we've very graciously encouraged them to exit stage left because they're not a fit for our culture. You know, it's just the nature of the thing. You attract the kind of clients who are aligned with the vision of what kind of community in your company you want to build. And we're absolutely committed to that diversity. Otherwise, don't do business with a company in New York because this is the melting pot of the world. And that's right. not something that we're shy about. Uh, well said. Uh, Doug, final question. I wrap every episode with this. What is the strangest part of agency life? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I'm not even sure I can think of just one answer. The strangest part of agency life. I think perhaps the greatest uh, learning experience for the owner in agency life is recognizing that there's no way we can know everything we need to know. This business is changing so fast. Even HubSpot doesn't know everything they need to know. We are all learning. Okay. It is to use agile terminology. It is always a sprint. It is always continuous improvement. We are all iterating. As long as clients understand that you're the professional iterator and you're working very hard to make sure that you're on top of whatever iteration needs to come next, that's all they can expect. There is no such thing as a, we've arrived. That's a, I like how you anchored it to some agile terminology versus just saying we're all winging it. You know, we're all, we're all flying by the seat of our pants here. But yes, yes, it's, it's continuous optimization and continuous improvement. That's fair. That's fair. Beautiful. And the other part is also true. <laughs> Uh, well, Doug, thanks again for, for jumping in here. Uh, always a pleasure talking to you. This has been super informative, super insightful. Uh, so thanks for, for joining us today. It's awesome. Likewise, this has been an absolute pleasure. You know, Kevin, if there's anything else that you guys want to explore, uh, if anyone after listening to the podcast wants to reach out and dig in deeper, just let me know. We're all part of the same family here in the HubSpot community and in the larger agency world as a whole. Let's do this. Yeah, much appreciated. And uh, I'm at least coming to you for some Aruba recommendations. So we'll start yes. there and see where we go. But, Sweet. Uh, yes, thank you so much, Doug. And for folks that have been tuning in, this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered. <laughs>